What is it like inside the mind of a designer? How can they see what makes a good design? Is it a particular shape, a feeling, an experience, or a process? Most people relegate design to the world of products or brands, but in reality, it is a whole way of seeing the world. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about applying design thinking in the business context to improve customer experience and productivity. On this episode, we're going inside the mind of the design by asking, what is design thinking? How can it be taught and how is it applied to the business world? Welcome to another episode of Think Business Futures. I'm Nicole Sutton. And I'm David Brown, and we're from the UTS Business School. And today, we are very excited to have Associate Professor Joachim Schweitzer in the studio with us, and he is the Director of Entrepreneurship at the UTS Business School. So welcome, Joachim. Thanks for having me, guys. So can I just read your quote? This comes from Scott Cook, who's the Director of eBay and uh, Procter & Gamble. And he says, I quote, When MBAs come to us, we have to fundamentally retrain them. Nothing they learn will help them succeed at innovation. So let me ask you the question, how do you teach students to think like designers and presumably innovate? Well, I guess the problem with that quote is that apparently we don't do very well in that. So um, um, if we have to retrain MBA graduates or business graduates to then work in a very innovative firm, then uh, we might have done something wrong. So I think that's you know where thinking about design thinking and how we teach design thinking is really useful because it challenges us to um, just find better ways of teaching our graduates um, innovation skills and innovation minds. So presumably you've got some experience in this given that you are the director of the Masters of Business Administration in entrepreneurship. Now I guess that sounds like a paradox to some people. Uh, And so when it comes to MBA entrepreneurship student needs, how do you think about this idea of an innovation mindset or I presume an entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, look, I think think they're different, but they're also fairly overlapping at the same time. And um, that makes it really interesting. So if we if we think about uh, you know the way Nicole introduced the topic so nicely earlier about the mind of the designer, I think then that uh, really relates mostly to the innovation part of the mindset, whereas the entrepreneurial part, where it comes to you know taking an idea and commercializing it or starting a business with it, uh, relates more to the entrepreneurial mindset. And I think to the extent that people would be innovative, they uh, they would tap into their innovation mindsets, whereas when they sort of commercialize their opportunities, they, they would show more entrepreneurial minds. That's an interesting distinction. So I can imagine that that quote that we heard before, we probably wouldn't be so critical of business graduates in terms of perhaps their entrepreneurial mindset. So this is the, the kind of the, the business side of the equation. But back to Dave's original question, I imagine there's a bit of a sticking point in terms of teaching students to have this more innovation mindset. So here's, how is it that you go about teaching students how to think like designers? We start with desirability. So the whole point about design thinking is that it's human-centered. And uh, if you look at traditional ways of innovating, um, companies and people would start with feasibility. Just because you are able to do something, you would find a way to do it and then make it viable, make it worthwhile doing. What design thinking urges you to do is to start with desirability, to take the perspective of the user and the people who apply or use the products and services that you're developing. 
And I think that's the same perspective that you would take to teach our students. So starting with desirability and then going through this process of design thinking, um, which is um, often described as a double diamond where you're going through divergent and convergent thinking phases at least twice. So t taking some time in this first phase to um, understand deeply and discover what the problem space is about, then converging into a, a new and reframed definition of this problem and then going into an ideation or um, a mode where you sort of exploring opportunities and then coming back to a mode where you are uh, sort of defining and developing uh, towards a solution that is tested and prototyped and also um, working with actually users in mind. Sorry, I just went, wow. That's very interesting. So I can see in that then your uh, innovation part as well as the entrepreneurship that you are describing as being uh, related components of going through that process then. So is this how you teach it? In, in at various points in the program, students are exposed to complex problems. And uh, formally... Could, could you give us an example? So uh, we have one subject, for example, that's called uh, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Practice, and we're working with... Um, organizations and startups that basically throw us an innovation challenge and uh, and students and in groups are working towards a solution and uh, as we go along with we're, we're teaching students the process that I just described earlier um, and and they're sort of testing and learning uh, the tools and techniques that are used in each of these phases working towards a solution for that customer. So, for example, we've worked with uh, Marley Spoon, a food kit delivery service here in Sydney and also elsewhere in the world, and um, they had a particular issue and challenge around the packaging that they're producing uh, with their food kits. And obviously there's a, lot of, there's a lot of garbage that you're creating once you cook through the meal, and they really wanted to find ways of reducing that pile of, of garbage. Um, so the students were basically through these phases of the design thinking process, engaging with users, engaging with different stakeholders in the process, and uh, coming to solutions and, and uh, which would involve new technologies, but also new processes and maybe services um, that the company could offer to reduce that pile of garbage. Can you tell when, you, when a student walks through the door into your classroom, do you have a sense that some students have this design mindset already or is it something that you see developing over the course of say their studies that's a great question i think we all have bits and pieces of this mindset already we all grew up exploring experimenting that our inner child always sort of had very of the um, behaviors and cognitions that you would look for in a design thinking mindset uh, in, in that sense, it's really more about rekindling those and, and giving people the opportunity and allow them to to actually tap into that mind when they're looking for solutions. Mm. And what stops someone from tapping into that sort of mindset? Well, I think as we go through school and other parts of our educational life and our professional life, these are sort of hammered out of our brains and uh, and we get into using processes, sticking to procedures, etc. So um, I, I think... How do we get people to, to tap into that? We have to make them aware of those mindsets. And um, if you like, I brought you a couple of cards that I can share with you so we can have a look at some of the mindset that we uh, could talk about. So, Nicole, I, can, I give you this one. This is the first one. It's called Human Centered. So you can have a look at that quickly. Okay, so and, I'm looking uh, at a card here. And David, uh, I want to look uh, at this one with you. So here's another one. So, Nicole. Okay, so I've got a card here. Am I allowed to say what's on the card? Absolutely, yes. It says resilient. 
So just so the listeners know, it's a red card. And it says, resilient, withstanding or recovering from difficult conditions and being hopeful and confident about outcomes. Yeah, so so being resilient, I think, is, is, is a mindset. And, and the way I talk and think about these is in terms of um, uh, cognitive procedures, if you like, thinking patterns, mm-hmm. the way we approach or like the attitudes and behaviors that we bring to a process. So if you think about the process that I mentioned earlier, the divergent and convergent thinking phases, this is really not so much about following a process and using a tool. It's more about bringing a particular attitude towards using that tool. So... Um, the one that I just gave you there is um, what did I give you? Resilient. Resilient. Yeah, it's sort of the uh, the, the thinking around failing forward. Uh, you know, accepting that um, you have to learn and sometimes fail and recover from that failure to to grow and to to get better at it. Um, so that's uh, and you turn that card around on the back Ooh, side. There's something, on the, there's something on the something on the side back, of the yes. card. Um, th- these are some of the examples of them. Some some other sort of words that we could use for that. So on the back of the card there is. Iterate, optimistic, hopeful. Yeah, so iteration, for example, is a, it's a great feature of design thinking, or also of entrepreneurial thinking, really. So the, the ability to, to do it again and learn again, to do it again, to iterate, go back and forth in that process. Jochen, before you mentioned that you got into this about 10 years ago, could you tell us a little bit about why you got interested in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a strategy sort of scholar by training, if you like. So I, st- uh, I taught a, a strategy class. And what you usually do in that case is you, you, you study case studies with your students. However, they're often quite old and, you know, a bit dated and not very contemporary and they don't offer any real context. So I started to work with real context, worked with different organizations around the world and gave challenges to my students. What I found is that they are a lot more engaged around those real-life cases, but they're not necessarily coming up with novel solutions when I ask them to be innovative in terms of defining a strategy forward. So I was looking for a way to to engage students around real cases with the innovation method, and that's how I came about design thinking, which at the time was growing strongly, I think, particularly around Stanford University, where it came out of the D school there and the thinking and working of uh, David Kelly. So um, I introduced design thinking. I spent some time at Stanford and then had another opportunity to teach at the sister organization at Potsdam University. Along the way, with colleagues around UTS, we started what we called the ULAB at a time, which was sort of our attempt to to have a D-school-esque experience at UTS, so bringing students from different faculties together and uh, engaging them around design thinking, real-life challenges. We worked with the city of Sydney, uh, city of Parramatta, different sort of other organizations. And over the years, I think this, this practice emerged of, you know, how we can teach design thinking um, and engage students in, in, in real-life challenges. Mm. So, And lately, I think, as David mentioned earlier, we, we introduced this also into the new MBA in entrepreneurship as sort of a core principle of how we teach in the program. Could I just pick up on something you, you mentioned earlier to do with this research that you've been doing and getting in the mind of designers? How have you seen them use and apply this design thinking in practice? Because you've talked a lot about students and solving projects and the outcomes in relation to this, but I guess we'd like to understand a little bit more about what this actually looks like in process. Yeah, of course. So, so. I think as as we started to adopt design thinking in our teaching, I was really interested also in understanding how organizations learn about it, apply it, and 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 and, uh, and use it. So we started to talk to 
what we would call design thinking practitioners, often they're called innovation managers and organizations, and where the organization had made a decision to imply a human-centered approach to their innovation practices. And talking to them also, not just about the, the, the ways of how they teach processes and, and tools, but also how they see the mind changing around the organization. So this is in the context of innovation culture, creating a culture of innovation. Um, so we, we asked them questions about those mindsets that we discussed earlier and uh, trying to refine and define what are the key ones, what are the ones that are coming over and over again out of these people's thinking. You know? And uh, the ones that we shared earlier are the ones that kept, kept coming back. I think by now we've probably talked about 40 of those innovation managers and uh, some whom are working in organizations that have been using design thinking for more than five years now and already had really great outcomes and great successes with that too. With the people that you spoke with in the organizations they work, did you see that the people who were adopting kind of design thinking, were they specified designers or were they actually having design thinking being rolled out more broadly within the organizations? Probably more broadly, uh, because I think there's there's a bit of a misconception, I think, about the, the word of design in design thinking applied to a business context. So what usually happens is that the design thinking gets um, turned down a little bit and, and the, the business relevance and uh, gets turned up a little bit. I think what's, what's important to understand is how organizations start to apply this and usually they do it by coming to better products and then maybe to better services. So this is probably the traditional way of applying design thinking. But lately we also see it being more applied in actually coming to better strategy. So applying it a bit more conceptual if you wish, but to the bigger picture. Uh, so taking a human-centered perspective, not just to better products and features of products or better services, but also better strategies and, and businesses overall. You're listening to Think Business Futures. On this episode, we're looking at the intersection of business and design thinking. We've spoken to Jochen Schweitzer and how he teaches design thinking in the classroom. Now, let's take a look at how design thinking is applied in the business context. If you're sitting in a Hyundai, it is probably designed by Casey, who for a decade was their head of strategic design, overseeing a transformation of their brand identity and creating the iconic Hyundai fluidic sculpture design philosophy. Now, since leaving Hyundai in 2016, Casey has established a consultancy firm called the Global Design Index. That is correct. Focusing his vision on future mobility and artificial intelligence. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really happy and honoured to be uh, with a radio station and doing the uh, the very first podcast of my life, actually. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. Thank you. I'm sorry if this question sounds a little bit naive and a bit open-ended, but what is design? Okay. And why is it important? Well, that's a pretty good question. I think that's a, that's a question that everyone's still to this day is asking because we know for a fact that uh, design is one of the newest professions that we have seen in, uh, in recent years. It comes just before like maybe a computer-related profession, but uh, design is relatively new and it is still trying to define its uh, profession as we speak because maybe the early turn of the 20th century, uh, when we talk about industrial design, we talk about furnitures, probably just trying to stem off from architecture or interior design-related work. A lot of people uh, who don't know so much about uh, car design, I think the automotive design only started coming into its own in, from the 1940s and the 50s. So it's a relatively new profession. Right now, it is actually transforming itself from 
a profession that creates a physical aesthetic creation into what we call a service design or strategic design where it's about building and structuring and creating which is not just physically present but something which is developing in terms of systems or mm-hmm. strategy how to come up with a new ideas and new kind of thinking in terms of uh, not just into design but probably into business you know economy commerce and even into you know politics really mm. and if we're talking about design in general mm-hmm. what makes for good design well for me good design is a design which is appreciated by the public i think a design has to be universally appreciated and be used and show its true credentials and uh, and, and what i call validity to the general public uh, it has to be appreciated i always believe that design is judged and evaluated by its commercial success so when a design is appreciated by smaller few you can't really define that as a successful design it has to be you know like an iphone um you know some people like it some people don't like it but if it's commercially successful it's done its job so i think if you want to make this a you know very straightforward it has to make money it has to be you know financially viable commercially successful appreciated by public because we exist to you know provide services you know a creative service which benefits people who want to make money yeah that's uh, that's what i think it is that's yeah. the reality yeah. yeah i guess just pushing back on this a little bit mm-hmm. but you hear terms like seamless design mm-hmm. for example or this idea that maybe good design is unobserved mm-hmm. uh, it's defined by the fact that you don't even notice it right, how right. does that play into because you've just said that design itself is appreciated mm-hmm. does it have to be well when i say appreciation appreciation for me happens in a many different ways in a, in a very direct and deliberate way but in a in a very subliminal and in a gentle way as well i had a discussion with a friend who designs a luxury timepiece you know it's like it's a watch but they call it a timepiece okay. just mm. just to make it different you know to, yeah. to stand out and his definition of uh, of luxury was providing everything that anyone can expect without them deliberately understanding or knowing that it is there what i mean by that is that for example you you have a timepiece and you you understand the hands yeah. the approximate time but you start looking into the details and some of the things that you wanted or expected things to be there on what you have is all there for you it's all catered for you it's almost like uh, when you walk into a building and and the door opens up right at the specific time that you wanted it to open just for you and you know when you walk in into the building the elevator door opens up for you exactly the time you want it things like that which you realize afterwards that it's it's been taken care just for you without you understanding that it was done for you in a deliberate way that's another appreciation you don't have to be appreciated right away but uh, sometimes you you look back and you realize almost like a movie you said oh my god that design was done specific way that it was all there done for you so you don't have to worry about it and 
why is this so important in the business context? So, for example, mm-hmm. you were head of strategic design mm-hmm. at Hyundai. Mm-hmm. Why was design so important there? I started working for Hyundai in 2004. I was appointed head of design in 2010, so six years after my working with Hyundai that uh, I was appointed head of strategic design and head of design as well. So that was when I was 36. For me at that time, it was it was about just designing cars. If you design a good car, people appreciate it. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And I realized that design strategy was, it was almost like when designing a car is like looking at a tree. Design strategy is more like hovering on top of the mountain and looking at the whole forest. Wow. Um, so you need to think about... <laughs> exactly how you will introduce a certain aspect, a certain form of design two, three years later. What is going to happen in four or five years later or even 10 years after that we have launched our car today? You know, what kind of car are we going to develop? How is it going to look? And why is it going to look that way? How is it going to represent our brand without deviating too far from our core brand value? So that's when I realized that design is about creativity but it also has to be very close working with the entity that you're working with of course it's a never-ending discussion and uh, what i call an argument between engineers and designers and not even with people like marketing Mm -hmm. uh, different departments you know working for hyundai which is uh, currently like the fourth or the fifth largest car brand in the world right now you have so many people with different interests coming into the monthly design review saying oh can we have design this way can we you know i'd be good if it was changed that way but you can't just say no Uh, you do have to think about it you have to plan this in a in a design thinking so uh you know you think that design your way because you're the designer you know the best but you start understanding the fact that they have their reason they have their concerns And they have their opinions not because they don't like you, but they want to also make things better. So design strategy is almost like a, you know, it's like a traffic controller, maybe. And looking back at your time with Hyundai, Mm -hmm. what sort of effects did you see out of your work there? Personally, I was very satisfied with the overall design. And as a larger corporation, you know, it's like Australia have like the, the, the big banks and all the retailers. We need to quantify the success as well. It's like, how do you quantify success in design? You can't just say, well, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful design. You know? But people want to know a little bit more. So uh, our design strategy team also had a small group which looked into being able to quantify the success of design. So one of the things that we did was uh, to use Interbrand. It's one of the large brand evaluation like a company like an organization that that values brand into dollars so i think right now apple is number one so you have interbrand which measures the top 100 brands in the world and so this is separate from their physical assets and so on this is just measuring the dollar value yeah, of, of of the brand of the brand, yeah, of the brand. Okay. Not, not, not just the sales or you know the turnovers or assets but it's uh, they talk about brands and what we realized was that when we introduced our design identity, design language of fluidic sculpture, which just you've just mentioned uh, during the introduction, there was an unusual spike in brand value increase from 2009. That's, that's the year of our introduction of our new 
brand identity. Between 2010 and 2014, uh, that marks about a half a decade, about five years, we're able to increase the brand value into about 120% from about $5 billion into $10 billion. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's US wow. dollars too. So From $5 billion to $10 billion. Right. So um, you know, the sales went up. We're able to sell vehicles through our design, not just by our price. So I remember when our family moved to Australia in 1987. I think that was a year about the mid-80s when the Hyundai started coming into Australia. And uh, it was all about price, you know, how cheap you were able to buy this car. And then it was almost like a butt of all jokes. It's like, if you don't think of anything but price, this is a car for you. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of changed into a brand with performance and design and values, something that you want to buy rather than you have to buy. So, you know, many different ways from brand values, the sales, the depreciation of design by winning numerous awards. We're able to show the global world, you know, the, the whole world and uh, the automotive business that we have a good car, that we also have a great design that that matches what is inside. So it's a car that you want to buy because you want to, of desire, not because you have to. take us back to some of the concepts that you've actually mentioned because mm. one of our favourite things to do on this show is to take buzzwords and, oh. and pack them a little bit of what they mean. <laughs> okay. And you've mentioned something like design strategy mm. and we also know that there is a lot of discussion out there about this term design thinking. Right, right. So with your help, I'd be really interested to understand how you think about what we mean by design thinking. Right. To start off, designers are not the only ones who are able to do the design thinking. I don't believe designers are exclusive to that. They're not the only ones who have the right to do so. And I think when we talk about design, it's about creation. It's about innovation. If you're able to think different, you're in the right direction of design thinking. It's an empowerment to everyone who's willing to be different or who think they are different. So I, I encourage a lot of people to look into design to draw their inspiration of what they do in their everyday lives. But you don't have to be a designer to do the design thinking. So, yeah, I guess this is it. So what yeah. does it mean to do design thinking? Um, does it follow a process? Well, or? I did think about this for a while, actually. Um, when I left Hyundai two years ago, this was a topic that I I thought about almost every day. Is design thinking, is design only for designers? How is it that, or why is it that designers are the only one who has, you know, who, it seemed as if they're the one who can say that we are the creative ones. It is still in a stage of development or, you know, like stage of defining for me. But what I did come up with was that a role and the definition of design is definitely changing. When we talked about design 10, 20 years ago, designers, you wear different clothes. You think different. You act different. <laughs> yeah. You know. There's the creatives over yeah, there yeah. and there's the accountants over right, there. Right. So usually designers had this idea of being a leader or a creator or a trendsetter. But I think the definition of design and designer is kind of changing towards more of a mentor right now being able to help general public, everybody, to think like designer and act like designer by 
giving that kind of catalyst or a you know or kind of a jump start for everyone, including you and and everyone, to yeah. to think like designer and behave like designer and come up with a solution to your everyday problem, including you know what you do at home or your work. I think that is very critical right now. Why is it so critical right now? Because the general public, the business, the economy, they've seen everything. I think they've seen everything, they've done everything. We're always talking about disruption or innovation. Uh, we're trying to squeeze a last drop out of a dry towel. And um, you're thinking, why is this happening? Because people are running out of ideas right now, it, just in general. It's like we think that we've done everything. Mm. And you really need this kind of you know, revolutionized thinking for us to come up with a new ideas, a new what we call you know, initiatives to change our society and make things better. So that brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. You can find more episodes of the show on your favorite podcast app or on the website, 2SCR.com slash thinkbusinessfutures. That's all one word, by the way. Thanks to Casey Huen and Jochen Schweitzer for joining us to discuss design thinking. You can find Jochen's research on the UTS website. As always, we'll put links in the show notes so you can do a bit more research on both our guests. Our executive producer is Jason Lequier. Ben Robinson provides additional production support. We'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at thinkbusiness at 2 Until next time.